Well, I feel badly for General Flynn. I feel very badly. He's led a very uh, strong life, and I feel very badly, John. I will say this. Uh, Hillary Clinton lied many times to the FBI. Nothing happened to her. Flynn lied, and they destroyed his life. I think it's a shame. One of the things lawyers always tell clients to do is shut up. You tweet and comment regarding ongoing criminal investigations at your own peril. I'd be careful if I were you, Mr. President. Flynn is considered the smaller fish who they're cutting a deal with to potentially testify against bigger fish, period. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So you know how some days when the winter chill is in the air, you can slide into some tartans, light your advent candles, put the angel on the tree, and wait with mounting excitement for Muller time, which seems imminent. And at night, you can savor visions of sugar plums and Jared Kushner's elegant, delicate wrists in festive handcuffs that chafe a little. And just feel that twinkly goodness of the season and the notion that evil will fall and goodness will reign again. Well, that's not this week. We're still in the wake of that confiscatory psycho tax bill. I just Venmoed my whole salary to Rebecca Mercer to save the IRS time in April. Trump is giving Chester the molester in Alabama his warm endorsement. Billy Bush, that feminist crusader, has confirmed that Trump the molester, his Access Hollywood tape is, I don't even want to say, of course he said it. When you're a star, they let you. Paul Manafort is out on bail, blinking against the sunlight in his half a million dollars worth of Zegna suits, one on top of the other. And at the helm of this hellscape is a president whose prefrontal cortex has crumbled into ash. And I say this in no violation of the Goldwater rule as someone who has examined the president in detail because I use Twitter. Today, my guest is Jeffrey Tubin, staff writer for The New Yorker and the senior legal analyst at CNN. I used to fact-check Jeff's pieces back in the days of the OJ trial, which was once considered a big deal, way back before we knew what a big deal really is. Today, Jeff Tubin is working on a book about La Faire Russe, and he has a fantastic piece in The New Yorker this week about Mike Flynn's guilty plea, Trump's defense team, and all the plausible paths to impeachment. I'm very excited to talk to Jeff about all that and about Trump's lawyer's claims today that he's above the law. But first, the tweets. Report. Anti-Trump. FBI agent-led Clinton email probe. Now it all starts to make sense. I never asked Comey to stop investigating Flynn. Just more fake news covering another Comey lie. So General Flynn lies to the FBI and his life is destroyed. While crooked Hillary Clinton on that now famous FBI holiday interrogation with no swearing in and no recording lies many times and nothing happens to her. Great system or just a double standard. I had to fire General Flynn because he lied to the vice president and the FBI. He has pled guilty to those lies. It is a shame because his actions during the transition were lawful. There was nothing to hide. Congratulations to ABC News for suspending Brian Ross for his horrendously inaccurate 
accurate and dishonest report on the Russia, Russia, Russia witch hunt. Joining me on the line is Jeffrey Tubin, who has a new piece out in The New Yorker called Michael Flynn's Guilty Plea Sends Donald Trump's Lawyers Scrambling. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Virginia. So we got the news today, and, you know, I said in the intro that I I first met you when I was fact-checking your pieces on the OJ trial for The New Yorker. In the OJ trial, we saw something that at the time was called jury nullification, right? Juries, like, deciding there was something, making decisions sort of outside the law. Are we seeing some an argument like presidential nullification today from John Dowd, one of Trump's sharpshooter lawyers, who has said today a president cannot obstruct justice because he's the chief law enforcement officer. He's got some constitutional article he thinks that stipulates this, and he has every right to express his view of any case. Is that possibly true? Uh, no, it's not true. Uh, although there are parts of it that are at least relevant, if not true. I, I, I think the, there is a difficult question about whether a president, sitting president, can be indicted by a grand jury in a criminal case for anything, obstruction of justice, murder, cutting the tags off mattresses. I mean, the, the issue of whether a president can be indicted is a difficult one, and, there are, and that, that has never been definitively resolved. However, it is entirely clear that a president can be impeached for obstruction of justice. So the idea that there is some sort of immunity for uh, obstruction of justice is completely wrong. Bill Clinton was impeached, among other things, for obstruction of justice. Richard Nixon, the articles of impeachment that were voted on in the House Judiciary Committee, involved obstruction of justice. So it is quite clear that Congress can... Uh, impeach for obstruction of justice. But the question of whether a president can be indicted while he is president for obstruction of justice is somewhat of an open question. When you bring up Clinton, I think about a distinction I saw Harry Littman make in an op-ed in The Times this weekend between a scandal and a crime. So with Bill Clinton, he committed scandalous behavior with Monica Lewinsky in the Oval Office, but it wasn't it wasn't criminal. It wasn't rape. But then he perjured himself and told us he did not have sexual intercourse with that woman. And that was the thing for which he was impeached. I think the question all along about Trump and co is have they committed a crime in the form of what we've alternately called collusion and, and other things. Some people go so far as to call it treason. You, in this piece, treat collusion, you examine collusion, whether it's a crime or whether there's something else called, what is it called, criminal conspiracy that might be the right. crime here. We It seems clear that there's obstruction of justice, there's some lying, there's a cloud of deceit, there might be a cover-up here. But it's not clear to me um, whether there's a crime that they've been covering up. That's right. And 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 that that, to me... Uh, was something that has been sort of haunting me or interesting me for the for the duration of this story, which is, you know, we keep talking about collusion, the Russians and the Trump campaign working together. But there is no crime in the federal statutes called collusion. And so was it illegal if there was some sort of alliance, joint action, 
by the Trump campaign in Russia? And that turns out to be actually kind of a very difficult question. And, and I attempt to go through it in my New Yorker story. And, and basically, I come up with two possibilities, uh, one of which is a conspiracy to obtain illegal campaign contributions, that is, foreigners' campaign contributions, which, which is illegal under uh, American law, in the form of the WikiLeaks that the Trump campaigns conspired to get essentially an in-kind contribution from WikiLeaks. The other theory is that people in the Trump campaign aided in abetting the hacking of the Democratic National Committee and John Podesta's emails. Is this, is this are... not, not to tread too far in the weeds, but sure. the, the first one is, the first one you're describing is the solicitation of a so-called thing of value, usually imagined to be money from right. a foreign foreign entity in, a, in an American election, American campaign. And the dirt on Hillary Clinton might be the thing of value. Is that right here? What, would, what, what do you mean an in-kind? Well, no, it wasn't in the dirt kind. on Hillary Clinton. It was the emails from the Democratic National Committee and, the e- and John Podesta's emails. Right. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, opposition research is something campaigns regularly pay for. I mean, that, and there's nothing illegal about it, but it is a thing of value. And, and the law makes it, and you know, there is a criminal law that forbids foreigners getting, giving things of value to American political campaigns. So the theory would be that people in the Trump campaign illegally conspired to get these emails. There are problems with that theory, and, and I, don't, I don't think it's a slam dunk by any means, but it's one way of looking at collusion in a way that fits within American criminal law. The second one, so maybe soliciting this hack, that's referring to this Matt Tate-Peter Smith phenomenon, right? Or that where didn't someone representing himself as working for the campaign ask a hacker, I think Matthew Tate, to collaborate with the Russians? I don't know. Can you can you remind well, me I mean, of that? It, it's actually it, it's it's less attenuated than that. Ah. It, it's it's Donald Trump saying, "Go for it, WikiLeaks." find those emails, and then bragging about the content of those emails. I mean, it's about Trump himself <laughs> that if, and again, there are problems with this theory, but the theory is that by encouraging this hack by WikiLeaks or through WikiLeaks, the president is violating the law that says you can't hack into other people's emails, that he would be after the fact, aiding and abetting. And you, right, you, I mean, so I like when you say that it's less attenuated than that. You mean when it's in prime time and Trump says it himself, we don't actually right. need to do a lot of discovery. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I, it's not, it's not, you know, poor, poor old dead Peter Smith. It's, it's the candidate himself saying, encouraging hacking. Um, so these are the, these are some possible crimes. Um, were there more that you turned up? I think you said something about aiding and abetting after the fact being... Well, that's the, that's yeah. the one about, uh, about the hacking. I mean, I, you know, those two theories, the, the conspiracy to get illegal campaign contributions, the aiding and abetting hacking, frankly, I think they're problematic. By far the most plausible criminal violation by the president in particular is obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember, he fired the director of the FBI because the director of the FBI was investigating him. 
sometimes we become inured to these facts because they've been repeated so often, but that's never happened in American history. (laughs) It is very plausibly obstruction of justice in and of itself. Now, there are other parts of the story that could also be obstruction of justice, like the the disclosure just, just this week that he knew that Michael Flynn had lied to the FBI, yet he still told Director Comey, leave him alone. I mean, that, that also is evidence of obstruction of justice. I mean, you know, it, it, again, the obstruction of justice is a lot simpler and a lot less complicated than the, uh, the theories about collusion. And the evidence is also stronger on obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. I remember it was the firing of Comey that tripped a wire for you, and maybe that's when you conceived this book on uh, La Faire Russe, as we call it, on Trumpcast. When Comey was fired, I remember seeing you on CNN, and it was like this thing that we knew before, which is that the Russians had hacked both the RNC and the DNC and and released only the DNC via emails via via WikiLeaks and had clearly intervened on Trump's behalf. but And that was maddening, of course. But it looked like it might be a 9-11-style commission that would show how the Russians did it and that they found that, you know, support the Trump, supporting Trump was in their interest. And yes, he had given some winks to Putin. But I ha- had no idea that they thought they were covering up something much, much more sinister than that until Trump fired James Comey. Well, you know, you were right that that it did trip a wire uh, in me, um, in part because sort of the formative experience of my youth was was Watergate. And, uh, you know, the firing of Archibald Cox, the Watergate special prosecutor by Richard Nixon in what was known as the Saturday Night Massacre in 1973 is really one of the signal events of Watergate. But also, I mean, you know, one of the things I try not to do is to overthink. And when the president of the United States is under investigation by the FBI and he fires the FBI director to stop the investigation of him, mm-hmm. that is, it's not difficult to be outraged by that. Okay. So one thing that's of a specific detail in your piece, which I think I think will maybe become more significant as we think and Mueller thinks more about this obstruction of justice is this. So when Flynn pleaded guilty, I know to say pleaded on like the president or the fake president who on Twitter says pled, which supposedly <laughs> gives him away as an amateur. Anyway, when Flynn pleaded guilty, the idea was raised that the pressuring of Comey to fire Flynn was a more possibly more significant act even than the firing of Comey in the case for obstruction of justice. Now, here's the thing I want to say. The firing of Comey was in broad daylight, but the pressuring of Comey to back off Flynn happened between two men very much alone in a room, namely James Comey and Donald Trump. I notice in your piece for The New Yorker, which is very scrupulous about fact-checking, I can say as an alumna of the department, you quote Trump as saying in that meeting with James Comey, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. Trump said, he's a good guy. I remember that language from Comey Day, when Comey testified about what happened in that meeting. Why are we allowed to say that this is what happened in the room? Well, I mean, because he's the only uh, witness who has spoken about what's happened in the room. Well, Trump has said he didn't pressure Comey. 
Well, I, I you know, I, I appreciate your your concern for the your alma mater than your alma mater than New Yorker <laughs> and and uh, the fastidiousness of our fact checking, which is indeed wonderful. But you know, I, I do think we make some choices about uh, whom to believe, and, yeah. and I think when you have you know, Director Comey, who, as he described, you know, wrote down almost yes. contemporaneously what went on in these meetings with Trump because he was so bothered by them. And then the alternative view is from Donald Trump, whose relationship to the truth has been intermittent, to say the least. You know, I, I think we are within our rights to say Comey was telling the truth about what happened. Um, you mean you're not you don't think James Comey is a nut job? <laughs> I, I do not think James Comey is a nut job. Believe me, I, I think there there are many questions about James Comey's stewardship of the FBI, especially how he, you know, essentially destroyed Hillary Clinton's candidacy with a week to go before the election. I mean, I, but uh, in terms of is he a reliable witness about what went on in the meetings between him and President Trump? I think he is a very trustworthy witness on that. So that um, brings me to the Trump's defense. So if Trump's conspiracy or criminal conspiracy or solicitation of the hacks, if the proof of that is in his I love WikiLeaks speech or his, you know, Putin, I hope you can turn up these emails speech, proof of obstruction might be what Trump said to Lester Holt that he had in mind this Russia thing when he fired Comey, and also what he said to Comey about Flynn in that meeting. What are the defenses that the Trump Trump team might mount against the obstruction charges? Their, their and, defense, and, and, and their also, defense is yeah. that uh, Attorney General Sessions and his deputy, Rod Rosenstein, uh, the weekend before Trump fired Comey, he spent uh, writing a, a long letter with his aide, Stephen Miller, and the basis of all of their statements about why Comey should be fired, that is, Sessions, Rosenstein, Miller, Trump, mm-hmm. was because they thought he mismanaged the Hillary Clinton investigation and, and behaved improperly in connection with that. They assert the firing of Comey had nothing to do with Russia, but had everything to do with his his concern about the um, the, the Hillary Clinton investigation. That's the defense. Be, uh, that's the that's the gallantry. What I think of as the chivalry defense, which is, and I, I still <laughs> I think you could say that Hillary Clinton owes him her white knight a real word of apology because he let Comey go, and she does you know, say that Comey participated in her defeat. And I just am surprised she hasn't written him a beautiful holiday thank right. you note. Hillary, well, if you're I listening, mean, it might it, be time. And in fact, one of, the, one of the things that apparently is true, which, which gives you some idea how out of it you can be when you're isolated <laughs> in the White House, is when Trump fired Comey, he and others in the White House were surprised that Democrats were upset because they thought they were all still so upset about how Comey handled that announcement right before the election. I mean, I, I, they don't <laughs> like this is a bipartisan win. Ideas in their mind at the same time. Right. So Chuck and Nancy um, are not going to come running and right. show them a lot of love after that. No. Um, that so that's their defense on that, and then their defense on the on Trump pressuring uh, Comey to see his way clear to letting the investigation of Flynn go. What might that be? That it didn't happen. I mean, that one is just the straight that Comey's lying. 
that it just didn't happen. What do you think of Trump's, I'm going to let you go, but what did you think of Trump's, um, <laughs> I don't know the word for it, sometimes I run out of words for this, outlandish tweet that said, you know, he fired Flynn because he had lied to the FBI, which many people, including Walter Schaub, the, you know, former head of the Office of Governmental Ethics, has said if Trump knew that Flynn had lied to the FBI, as he said in that tweet, and then refused to fire Twin later, then that is a stunning admission. It is a stunning admission. And then the the Trump but 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 the defense was from John Dowd, Trump's seventy six year old lawyer, evidently not someone who grew up with Twitter, um, <laughs> was that he wrote it and it's his fault. He didn't really mean it. And Trump tweeted it, but it doesn't really represent Trump's point of view. I mean, it's, you know, one of the ironclad rules of the criminal justice system is that defense lawyers tell you, don't say anything. But even more so, defense lawyers shouldn't get their clients in trouble. (laughs) So the idea that, that this defense lawyer, you know, wrote this tweet, which made a bad situation worse, is just, you know, bizarre in the extreme. But Again, indicative of how the the Trump group can't help but stumbling into the truth, which is that there was apparently some obstruction of justice here. Ages ago. um, Yeah, that's that's sort of where we are. Um, Ages ago, someone in the FBI, I, I think this was in a Politico article, the FBI, of course, in tatters, as Trump reminds us. But someone said, what's amazing about this gang is they're their own wiretaps. (laughs) Um, It does make discovery somewhat easier, as you point out. (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, with Nixon, we had to wait until the White House tapes came out to find out that there was obstruction of justice. Here, you only had to wait till Trump confessed to Lester Holt on NBC News. (laughs) I mean, it's just we're we're in a sort of more accelerated news environment. Um, Thank you so much, Jeff, for being here. I've got, I can't wait for your book. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to have written it. And speaking oh, of excel... I need an excel- ending, Virginia. You need an end. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Indeed. All right. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot. Bye. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. We hang out on Twitter at at Real Trumpcast. That's at Real Trumpcast. You know that at sign? It's that before Real Trumpcast. So follow us. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.